right, let's go ahead and get started. How about stand with me tonight? Everybody doing okay? Johnny, would you mind shutting that door for me? Thank you, sir. Well, now we can say praise the Lord for the rain. We've been praying for it. We only need about 10 more inches, maybe not all at once. Uh, but uh, what a wonderful, refreshing, you know, isn't it, people just seem happier now that it's rained. Uh, I, you know, that's just, everything's greening up again, and there's a lot of spiritual lessons in that, but uh, anyway, glad that you're here. Thank you for being with us online tonight. We're excited you've tuned in. Uh, how many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you. Uh, we do want to continue praying. Uh, I know that rain has, the rain has put a dent in the drought. It hadn't eliminated the drought. Uh, still need uh, some more moisture, but maybe spread out over the next few weeks. Uh, but uh, anyway, let's, uh, let's just open up in prayer. Father, we love you tonight, and Lord, we're so grateful. Uh, Lord, we look around, and uh, Lord, I know sometimes in our own lives when things appear to be dead and, and, and dormant, uh, Lord, just a, just a refreshing shower of the Holy Spirit just, just causes life to flow once again. And Lord, thank you for that beautiful reminder, just looking around and seeing all that uh, is greening up again, and, and Lord, just the, the refreshing of the rain uh, Lord, I thank you that there is that spiritual parallel, and we pray for the rain of the Holy Spirit, the latter rain, to be poured upon your people, Lord. And as we open up tonight, we want to thank you uh, just for being a good, good God and for being attent attentive to our needs. And I pray for every hand that went up in the building tonight, Lord, signify needs in our life. And I thank you that you're big enough. I pray for those that need healing tonight. Uh, Lord, I pray for those that are having tests, those that have had procedures done or facing procedures, Lord, that you would just take charge and do what only you can. I pray for those online tonight that they would just be refreshed there in their room. All the ministries that are on campus tonight, Lord, we pray that you would be exalted and lifted high in all things. And Lord, we continue to pray for revival uh, in our nation. Lord, there are many, many things that are going on. And we just pray that, Lord, even amid all of this stuff, that we would continue to keep our eyes focused where it needs to be. Uh, Lord, that's on you. Be with us tonight in our study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit it now to you in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated tonight. Um, go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 46. Um, I'm, again, as I said, I'm not going to be doing a series for a few weeks, but uh, uh, Psalm 46. Uh, Sunday, let me just say this, Sunday will be the last... Uh, uh, in the series, uh, our summer series, Hot Topics for Hot Times. Uh, so I'm going to wrap that up on Sunday. And then our new series will begin on October the 2nd. Uh, uh, it's going to be the 11th hour. We're going to be talking about end time prophecy, uh, the return of the Lord. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, years ago I, I said we need to quit looking for the signs and start listening for the sound because I think everything around us points to the return of Christ. Now, again, every generation has believed that. But the birth pains have become more intense and more frequent, and I believe that we need to be looking up and not only just looking up, being oblivious to where we are, but we need to do all that we can to reach as many as we can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, September 25th, that Sunday, is our annual uh, missions convention. Uh, and again, with the format this year, we'll just do that Sunday morning service with the commitment, uh, maybe... Uh, next year, we'll do the international banquet like we had done in the past, but this will just be that one service, uh, that more, or the two services on Sunday morning. But uh, again, it's a highlight, and, and, and I appreciate, in fact, I've talked to several missionaries uh, today or this week, actually, just some wonderful things that are taking place 
uh, on the field, around the world. And listen, God's working. And regardless of what we see around us, God's working in these closing hours of humanity. Um, so anyway, let's get, let's get right into our word tonight. And and I want to, uh, my message tonight as we, uh, is teaching on Psalm 4610 is be still. How many ever said that to you, kid? Be still. Did it ever work? So now you understand God. Be, no. So let's, let's, you know, I tell you what, I, uh, I, I'm just going to take the time. I want to read, I want to read the, the entire Psalm, okay? Because I think it just really sets this thing up. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah, that means, again, ponder. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to end. Uh, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. And I want to focus on verse 10. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Uh, I, let, me, let me, when I grew up in Mobile, uh, I, uh, being a kid growing up in the Gulf Coast area, and Mobile again, but any of the Gulf Coast area, one of the things that you became very familiar with, and one thing that you learned quickly in the Gulf Coast area is that hurricanes are a possibility every year. You know, that was something from the earliest. In fact, my, my, probably my earliest memory that I can recall is 1969. I was four years old. Actually, I wasn't four. I would have been four in November of 69, so it was before. I was a little over three years old. But I remember when Hurricane Camille uh, hit the Gulf Coast in 1969. And the reason I remember is it was such a... Uh, it was such a, a chaotic event. It was a dramatic trauma, if you will. And I can still remember uh, my grandparents coming to stay at our house uh, during the storm. And I remember in the middle of the night looking out with the winds, the, just the hurricane force winds. The thing about a hurricane is that they can last 10, 12 hours or longer. You know, a tornado blows in, blows up, blows out. A hurricane is just relentless. And, and I remember looking out the window uh, seeing the shed in our backyard blow uh, down the neighborhood. And I guess that's why it stuck in my mind is that I won't ever forget that. I still see it was, a, it was not a, a shed that we have today. It was, I think, a Sears and Roebuck shed. <laughs> but I, I watched that thing fly down the neighborhood. Uh, and, and I can remember uh, significant uh, hurricanes as a kid growing up. Hurricane, uh, uh, again, Camille in, in, in 69, Hurricane Frederick. In 79, uh, there were other smaller hurricanes that I grew up with. And, and uh, you know, I've seen Mother Nature at its worst. You know, as the, 
director of the NTD Disaster Response Network for the last 12 years, uh, I've seen her unleash her fury uh, in all kinds of ways I, uh, uh, in, in the past 12 years. I, I, I walked through Port-au-Prince in 2010 after that devastating earthquake hit that city and reduced it to rubble. The capital of Haiti, uh, again, suffered such a tremendous... Uh, in fact, they're not even recovered. I mean, there's functioning, but, but they're places that have never recovered since 2010. Um, I've watched tsunami, su- tsunamis. That's like an anonymity. <laughs> I, I've, watched, I've watched tsunamis hit Indonesia, typhoons that have hit Asia. Uh, I remember when Hurricane Katrina... Anybody remember Hurricane Katrina? Uh, I remember when Katrina hit the Gulf Coast. I remember when Hurricane Harvey hit the Gulf Coast here in Texas. Uh, we responded to both of those. We had teams. I worked teams for a couple of months uh, there in those areas, and the devastation was catastrophic. In fact, when Hurricane Harvey hit, the reason it was such a devastating storm is it parked itself there in the Beaumont-Houston area, and the winds, uh, so, so the response was on the east side, Beaumont, Vider, Silsby, all those areas, it was flooding. In fact, I worked in a house, uh, one of, in fact, some of the guys, I think Johnny, you were with us, one of the teams down there, uh, we worked in a house, and it was an older couple in their 60s. They had nine feet of water in their house. And, and it was quite surreal to go into their house, rifle through their stuff, rip stuff off the wall, and just take it out to the, out to the curb. They did not, uh, they weren't in a flood area, but they got flooded nine feet of water. So the insurance wouldn't cover because they didn't have flood insurance, but they weren't required to have flood insurance because they weren't in a flood plain. So, you know, we helped them out. We tore everything out of their house, got it all set up. And, and I asked him, I said, so what are you going to do? And he said, he said we, we have no insurance. We plan to retire in a couple of years. He said, the only thing I know to do is we're going to make a couple rooms ready and we'll live in those and we'll try as we can afford to get other things uh, other areas fixed up. And so I've seen the devastation. And, and here's the interesting thing. It's always interesting, and I'm going somewhere with these stories. It's always interesting to hear what people say after a major disaster. You know, you always have people that want to try to figure out why something happened, uh, why it was so bad. Uh, you know, and some people will talk about climate change, if you're into that. They'll. Some people will talk about humanity's responsibility. Some people begin to talk about the end times and the coming of the Lord. Uh, every, again, every time a tragedy occurs, we want to question, uh, where was God when all of this happened? In fact, I've had people ask me, well, why, why didn't God do something? You know, why did God allow this to happen? Why did God, or some people even, even would go as far as say, why did God cause this to happen? Um, and so I want to kind of park there for a little bit because I, I, I think there's several possibilities when things happen in life. And, and it's not just natural disasters. Every one of us know what it is to have tribulation in life. Every one of us know what it is to have difficult things happen to us. And, and we all have the same question. Again, whether it's a storm, whether it's a, a, a medical diagnosis, whether it's a, an accident or whatever, we all have the same question. That's why. Or where are you, God, when I'm hurting so bad? And so there, there are a few possibilities. First of all, disasters, again, in, in, in our chaos, uh, might be a sign of the second coming of Christ. I mean, they, it, it very well could be. Again, every time a disaster happens, how many of us have heard people start declaring, hey, you better be ready, Jesus is coming? Anybody ever heard that? 
Uh, and again, there are passages that kind of lend itself to believe that. In fact, Jesus, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 7, he said there would be earthquakes in various places. So, so again, it would not be a far stretch to say that when we see natural disasters that we ought to pay attention because Jesus is coming. We should expect, uh, in, in fact, natural disasters, according to verse 8 of Matthew 24, is the beginning of birth pains. And they're going to get more frequent and more intense as we near the coming of the Lord. But if that's true, then we should expect, or since that's true, then we should expect even greater catastrophes as we near the coming of the Lord, right? Birth pains start off, you know, I mean, I'm looking back there, and Amanda just had a baby. So birth pains start off, I'm not going to say relatively easy because I don't have a clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> but they begin, they're not quite as intense as the day of delivery. And as you get closer to that moment, things become more frequent. I remember when Sheila, you know, they had that machine on her when, when we had our two children. She had our two children. And you could see on that sonogram, you could see, and you're like, oh, better brace yourself. Here it comes. <laughs> you know, guys, we get to do things like that. Uh, and, and so, if, again, with catastrophes, with disasters, if that is a signal of the coming of the Lord, then we should expect greater and more intense things to happen as we near the coming of the Lord. Again, uh, at, at this moment, that's all we can say about it. It's only after Christ returns that we're able to look back and clearly see that, hey, that was a sign that led up to his, his return. I would agree that Jesus is coming. The second possibility is that disasters might be God's judgment on particular sins. It just might be a, a judgment. And, and here's the thing. The problem with this view, though, is trying to figure out or explain why the tornado hit here and not there. That, that, that's the problem with that view or why the earthquake hit Port-au-Prince, uh, Port uh, a city that was greatly impoverished to begin with and had substandard building codes. Why did it hit there and not some other place that was better prepared for it perhaps? I mean, when Katrina hit, anybody remember what they said uh, when, when Katrina hit and the, the dam or the levees burst there in New Orleans and it flooded the Ninth Ward? Anybody remember what they said? They said it was God's judgment because apparently on that Monday uh, after the storm hit and the flooding that they were to have their gay pride pray, parade. And so there were a lot of people after Katrina hit that said, well, this was God's judgment on the city of New Orleans because of their their sin. Well, so now think about it. Were the people in New Orleans more sinful than people in Dallas or San Francisco or here in Cleburne? Uh, again, I mean, if you're going to if you're going to say that, then then were, are they more sinful in New Orleans than they are here or anywhere else? Uh, you know, Jesus kind of had to address this very thing. In fact, in Luke chapter 13, he's discussing the Galileans who were who were murdered by Pilate and the men that were that died in the Tower of Siloam when it fell on them. And, and, and basically they were asking, well, who sinned? Did this happen because they were sinners? Do, does their death prove that they were worse sinners? What did Jesus say? No. No. The circumstances of their death uh, do not prove that they're worse sinners, only that they are sinners. Again, it's always tempting for us to look for a connection between our sins and terrible disasters. Because you know what? Our human nature is we want to know why. Why did that tornado hit? Why did that, why did that hurricane hit? Why did that accident take place? Why, you know, why did that house blow up? You know, I remember 
years ago in the house over there by Calvary Baptist on Woodard. People that, we, that I knew, uh, their house blew up. Natural gas leak, house blew up. Why? You know, so we want to know. It happened after the Haiti earthquake. It happened after 9-11. It, after, it happened after Hurricane Katrina. Uh, you know, listen, I do believe there is a moral cause and effect in the universe. And, and, and I'm, I'm really, I really believe that, you know what, we can go so, so far as to say that in any tragic event, that might be part of God's judgment on sin. I'm willing to say that, but it's an important clarification because when you look in the Bible, people want to say, well, what did God do to, ju- to Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, here's the thing. When God got ready to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, he told them what he was going to do. He announced what he was going to do. Uh, and, and, and so today, we again, absent the voice of God, we don't have any idea. Again, I think that's very shaky ground. We have no idea uh, of, of being that kind of that certain today. You know, we again when we try, we have to be very careful when we're trying to explain uh, why bad things happen uh, to good people, why they happen when they do, where they do, uh, and 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 why they happen in all circumstances. We've got to be very careful about attributing that. Well, God must be angry, or God must be doing this. Again, I'm trying to build something up because we wrestle with that when tragedy strikes us. We wrestle with why didn't it happen to somebody over there and not me? As though, you know, like for instance, I, I mean, I can talk about Sheila. You know, she, she wonderful lady. She was a great lady before she had her stroke. She's a great lady now. But why her? I mean, she loved the Lord. She served the Lord alongside of me. I mean, why her? Why not, you know, some other person? You ever thought like that? I know we don't like to admit we do, but we really do. You know, so that's why this is, this is very important that we understand this. This all comes down to the heart of the problem. Why here and not there? Why did this child survive and the other one die? Why was this man's home destroyed while his neighbor's house was spared? I can tell you, with all, I've responded to every tornado that has hit North Texas, with two exceptions, I believe, in the last 12 years. I have seen houses next to each other, one literally demolished and the other one untouched. And so we think, why this house and not that house? Why this child, not that child? Why did the tornado hit this town and not the town five miles away? Or maybe on a different level, we would say something like this. Well, why did, uh, so why do two men get the same cancer? One man dies, one man lives. Does anyone claim to be able to explain these things? Another thing, disasters prove that we live in a fallen world. That's one thing over the last couple of weeks I've really tried to reiterate in, in, this, in the Sunday sermons is that we live, in a, we live in a fallen world. Our world is broken. It's broken from its from God's original intent, and I think that we have to grab hold of that because all of when when you look around today and you see man's inhumanity to man, you see the violence, you see the uh, again, you just see such uh, such anger and angst between people today, uh, and and you wonder where does that come from? We have to understand we live in a broken world. We live in a world that's under a curse, 
And I know there's some people that want to teach that the church is going to get its act together and going to exert righteous influence in our world and the world's going to get better and we're going to have a happier world. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Paul said perilous days are coming. And then he described what those days are going to look like. Now, uh, and, 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 and those days are, are days in which you are living, you and I are living right now. And again, my hope is not in a better society. My hope is in the return of Jesus Christ. That, that's the hope of the church. And, and again, we have to recognize we live in a fallen world. There's brokenness. There's going to be violence. You're going to have, you're going to have Christians that are going to be murdered, Christians that are going to be mugged, Christians that are going to be raped and, and all kinds of things. And I, I hate to even say that, but we live in a broken world and it, and it affects all of us. Disasters, chaos, tragedy affects every one of us. That's why Jesus said, hey, in the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome. See, the answer, this answer here that disasters prove that we live in a fallen world really rests on solid theological ground. When, we, when, when asked why bad things happen or God allows disasters, most believers revert to this version we call the free will argument. The free will argument goes something like this. When asked why God created a world filled with hurricanes and pain and suffering and death, the, the free will argument goes like this, that God didn't create the world that way. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth and he created all that is made, put man in the garden, the Bible says he saw what he had made and said it was very good. It was very good. He made it perfect in all of its ways. There were no, here's the thing, there were no earthquakes in Eden. They didn't have typhoons in Eden. They didn't have tornadoes. They didn't have, they didn't have any of that stuff. There were no suffering people waiting for days for help to arrive. No one died in Eden. The pain that you and I see uh, and the suffering we see around us, it didn't come from God. And so we scratch our heads and say, well, then where did it come from? How did we get to this spot? Well, the answer, again, goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. See, God gave them a choice, the freedom to decide. And the choice was this. You can obey or you can disobey. All this is yours. You can have it. You can partake. It's all yours under your dominion. But there's one tree that you can't. Obey or disobey. And we know what they did. (laughs) They disobeyed. And because of that, think about that. They made the wrong choice, and as a result of their sin, suffering entered the spiritual DNA of the human race. Genesis 3, 17 and 18 says that even creation itself was put under the curse by God because of Adam's sin. Again, why is the brokenness of our world? It's because of sin. It's because of what Adam and Eve did. They chose disobedience over obedience, and it unleashed this chaos that we have in our world today. See, death entered for the first time. Pain and suffering became man's constant companion because of sin. Paradise gained became paradise lost. And I guess I've already said nature became very angry and adversarial. Instead of the lion laying down with the lamb uh, together, the lion became the lamb's mortal enemy. Right? That's why Romans 28, 22 says that all of creation is groaning 
in this present age? What are they? What's the, what's creation waiting for? Paul said it's waiting for the day of redemption. What's the day of redemption when God puts back the order? <laughs> when God gets rid of the chaos and puts the order back in the way He intended in the very beginning. Adam's sin didn't just impact him; it touched all of us, every single one of us. Romans five twelve says, therefore. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. So, so we read something like that and we think, well, what does that have to do with us? I mean, I, I, I didn't take of that tree. I didn't partake of that tree, right? I mean, I, I don't even know what the tree was. I like apples. I hope it wasn't an apple because I like them. But, but I wasn't there. You weren't there. So what does that have to do with us? In some mysterious way, though, spiritually, we were there. Again, this is the doctrine of original sin. It's kind of hard sometimes to wrap our brain around it. When Adam sinned, we sinned with him. Again, this is the plainest explanation of the doctrine of original sin. It means that when Adam sinned, we sinned. When Adam disobeyed, we disobeyed. When Adam fell, we fell. When he died, we died spiritually. Again, to say it another way, even though we were historically not there in the Garden of Eden, because we are descendants of Adam, part of his family tree, we suffer the consequences of what he did. That's why today we're not, we don't sin in a vacuum. Parents have to be very careful because your sin will affect generations. How many ever heard of generational curses? I, I had this generational curses. I had a conversation with a lady just, just not long ago, and I said, here's the thing. Every generation has the same right and privilege to stop that curse. Every generation has that right. Most, most generations just continue to perpetuate the same thing that they've seen and experienced in their lifetime. But somebody has to stand up and say, wait a minute, this is it, done. We're not doing it anymore. Not doing it anymore. Again, we, we suffer the consequences that he did. So, so think of it like this. Just imagine that there was a school bus. It's probably a bad analogy, but... but Bear with me. I'm not any smarter than this. <laughs> so just imagine there's this big school bus, okay? There's enough, there's enough seats in that school bus for every man, woman, boy, and girl on planet Earth, okay? So it's a big bus. Now let's suppose that the bus driver is Adam, okay? He's driving the bus, the bus of humanity. Here he goes. <laughs> you know, the wheels on the bus go round and round. So here we go. We're driving away. Now just imagine he's driving and Adam the driver of this bus of all humanity drives over the cliff in disobedience. Guess what? We go down with him. I know that's simple and it's probably, you know, I couldn't come up with anything better. We all ended up crushed and broken on the jagged rocks of God's judgment because Adam, we're with Adam, the original sin. The world is this way because humans messed it up. The tornadoes, the hurricanes, the earthquakes, all of that would not exist if it were not for human sin. Again, when people want to blame God, God had nothing to do with this. God put, created a perfect world and he put man and he said, you can have your heart's content till your heart's content. You can have everything here except there's one tree. I can't even imagine that. I, and, and, and I'm talking like I would have not done that. I probably would have done the same thing, right? You've heard that old story about the, the plantation owner and Moses, the woodchopper, anybody? So, so I'll have to tell you, some of you have. I, I love this story. But back years ago, there was a, a plantation owner down south that had, uh, had a, a man uh, that worked there on the plantation whose job it was 
to keep the firebox full of wood. His name was Moses. And Moses, his, his only job was to go out every day, and he had to split wood, and he fill up the box. And one day he was complaining about his task of splitting wood, and uh, he, uh, he was out there, and every time he'd, hit, he'd raise that axe up to split that wood, he would go, oh, Adam, and he'd hit that wood. And he did it every time, and finally the, the owner of the plantation heard him, and he walks out there and says, Moses, what are, what are you saying? He said, well, I'm, he said I'm, I'm, I'm just fussing at Adam. He said, why? And he said, because if Adam hadn't done what Adam did, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And so the owner said, well, I mean, Moses, that's, if, Mo, if that's the way you feel about it, I'll tell you what, take the rest of your life off. This is what he told him. Take the rest of your life off. Go in the house, get you a glass of lemonade, go to the hammock, sit there. You don't have to do anything else. He's like, you're kidding, right? And he said, no, I'm being absolutely serious. You go, to the, go in the house, get your lemonade, go sit under the shade tree. You don't have to split another, another piece of wood. He said, but, he said, in that dining room, in, that, in the house, there's a box. And under no condition are you ever to look inside that box. He said, oh, boy, I'm, I made it now. So he goes, gets his lemonade, sits out on that shade tree. That lasts for couple days, one day he's in the house, and the owner's gone, and he sees that box. And he thought, I wonder why he doesn't want me to see in that box. So he goes over there, and I thought, nobody will ever know. He opens up the box, and inside that box is a letter, and it said, Moses, see there, if you would have been Adam, you would have done the same thing. Now get out there and start chopping wood. That's the we messed it up, right? <laughs> Again, we uh, the the reason that there are tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes is because of our sin. Human sin accounts for the violence and the mayhem that we see all around us, and our tendency towards un, uh, being unkind and lust and critical spirit and 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 greed and all of these things. It all comes down to us. We chose that. The fourth thing is disasters, and this is the whole point I've been building up to. Disasters call us to be uh, call us to be quiet before the Lord. Listen, there are going to be things happen in our life that are going to take the wind right out of our sail. If you've not experienced one, one will come. There are going to be things that happen in life that are absolutely going to, going to be like that gut punch that just catches you unaware and it's going to suck the wind right out of you. And it's going to leave your head spinning. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. The reason I wanted to read that entire chapter to you is because when, when, you, when you begin, after affirming that God can be trusted, and I like this because he says that God can be trusted even when the mountains give way. The psalmist says, cease your striving and be still. That's a powerful thing because I can't promise you that from here on out, life is going to be smooth sailing. Again, I wish I could. I, I, I tell everybody I'm allergic to one thing, pain. There you go. You're, still good. You're really good. <laughs> pain. I don't like any pain. I was at my specialist the other day, and the lady says, do you have any allergies? And I said, yeah, just one. She said, what is it? And I said, pain. She laughed. I said, I don't like pain. But again, after affirming that God can be trusted, even when the mountains give way, he said, you know what? Cease your striving and be still. It literally means to stop. 
to cease the frantic going to and fro, to simply rest, to rest. See, here's the thing. If we're busy, guess what? We can't hear the voice of God speaking to us. How many has ever had those moments where all you could do was just sit there? You know, again, I go back, and, and, and I don't mean to keep telling the story over and over. I go back to the time when Sheila had that stroke in 2012 on that Wednesday night. I'll never forget when it was. It was a Wednesday night that things were very touch and go, not sure she was going to make it, not sure she was going to pull through. The cardiologist, cardiologist had been in that day, and he's shrugging his shoulders like we're doing everything we can. We don't really know. And, and, and I'm, I'm just in that, that mode of, you know, number one, it caught me off guard because I never expected her to have a stroke. And number two, to be in the bad shape that she was in. I never expected that. So here I am. I'm, I've got all these emotions going on, and they're telling me she's over there basically unconscious, and, and I don't know what's happening, and I'm fearful, and I'm begging her, crying, and I'm, please don't leave me, don't leave me, don't leave me. I'm doing all those things. All day long, it was such a, a, an emotional difficult day go to lunch and my great friend Dr. Michael Richardson calls me I'm sitting at a Chinese restaurant really just to get out of the hospital I'd been there nonstop for four days three days whatever it was I'm sitting there in the middle of lunch he calls me from Florida he says hey God told me to call you and tell you it ain't over yet that's all he said I didn't talk to him so he and I talked I'm crying in my my uh, wonton soup, <laughs> you know, and, we're, and I'm talking to him. I'll go back to the hospital, still, again, touch and go, not knowing what's going to take place. And you've heard me say this before, but that night at Hughley Hospital, sitting in the corner, that's where they got the real nice rooms. I'm sitting in the corner in that thing they call a chair and a little recliner, and I'm just watching, and I'm worried. I don't know, you know, again, my emotions are all over the place. And I have that epiphany, and I thought, you know what? She doesn't belong to me. She's God's child. And so I get up from where I'm sitting, and I walk over, and I take her hand. And I said, God, you've heard me say this. I said, God, she doesn't belong to me. She's yours. If you want to take her, I'm okay. I said, I promise you, I'll not be angry with you. I'll not curse you. I'll not quit preaching the gospel. I said, the only thing I'm going to ask you to do is give me strength to go on. When I said that, there was this, I mean, it, I'd never experienced anything like that in my entire life. But it's like being outside in the heat of the day and getting a cold glass of water. I literally felt peace, like that water going down my esophagus into my gut. It washed over me. I had a sense of peace unlike I've ever, and I've, it's never, I've never lost it. She's had more episodes of things that have happened that peace is still there. That peace is still there. See, if I'm so busy running frantically to and fro, I can't hear the voice of God. I heard the voice of God that day, and it's carried me for these uh, since 2012. I'm saying the si in the silence that comes after tragedy, we learn that God is present. It's not in the hustle of bus and bustle of the chaos. It's in the silence, the being still. See, we're not supposed to have easy answers for the questions of why. I wish we did. I wish every, every time somebody came up to me and said, Pastor, why did this happen? I wish I could answer them. My heart yearns to answer with, with some rationale of why something happened. I can't. I mean, think about it. Remember when Job's three friends showed up? Anybody remember? Do you know what happened? When, when his friends showed up, they were so shocked 
at what had transpired with their friend, they sat in silence for seven days. They were shocked, and they kept their mouth closed for seven days. It was only when they started talking that they got in trouble. <laughs> but as long as they were quiet. When God says be still, it's not the, it, it's not the stillness of inactivity as much as, uh, and, and much less the stillness of despair. It's just, simply, it's just simply this quiet expectation. One writer put it like this. E. Jenkins said, when God says be still, he enforces the stillness of waiting, of watching the unfolding of ways and the development of thoughts which are as much higher than ours as the heavens are higher than the earth. In other words, when we stop, when we, when we stop, we start watching with expectation the unfolding of God's plan. Oftentimes, we simply do not understand why God does what he does. I, I, in fact, that's probably most of the time, right? You know why? Because our knowledge is incomplete. Our knowledge is incomplete. But we also have to confess this, that our trust, uh, that our trust that the processes of God are working themselves out even in the worst things that are happening in life. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, uh, that, that we know what? All things work what? Together for our good. That's where that trust comes in. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we're going to understand, but he did say we're to trust. Right? He never said understand. He said trust. The psalmist said, be still and know. Stillness leads to knowing. That's why we have to stop and be still. It's precisely when we need to admit that we don't know something that we, we, we can glean from the silence, just being still. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is simply say, I don't know. I don't know because that confession of our weakness becomes the ground for new revelation of God's strength. When I confess I don't know something, then I'm, I've set the foundation for God to give me a new revelation. Sometimes we talk, too, we talk too much when hard times come. And I think when we do, I think the talking, you know, when people are, are verbose, it's because I think we're trying to explain the unexplainable. I think when people tend to opine quite often and, and they're very robust, verbose in their, in their conversation, it's because we're trying to explain something we don't understand. We're much more likely to know the ways of the Lord if we are still before him, if we're still. It's like going to a museum, like going to the Louvre in Paris and uh, actually uh, rushing past 30 paintings in five minutes <laughs> as though speed improves comprehension. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know, but you go up to the Fort Worth Museum, Science and History, you, won't, you wouldn't rush through there thinking speed helps your, no, what do you do? You take your time. You study. You sit there and contemplate the brush strokes or the, or the, or, or the way the, the, the chisel was in his hand or, or whatever. You're being still. You're learning. Be still and know, says the Lord. And I don't think that's ever, that's, this is, it never is it more needed than when we find ourselves in tragedies that are beyond comprehension. I don't know if you've experienced that or not. But when everything's coming against you, when everything is raining down, when your world is imploding, the temptation is to run frantically trying to find solutions and answers and solve the problems. When the Bible says, be still and know. Sometimes, oftentimes, that is the prescription. And here's the thing. What is it that we will know? 
that I am God. See, that's the revelation. In the middle of chaos, in the middle of things we can't do anything about, he said, be still and know that I'm God. What does that mean? It means I'm in charge. I'm in charge. Notice he doesn't say, be still and know the details. (laughs) Wouldn't that be good? Or he doesn't say, be still and know the reasons why. Doesn't say that. He just says, be still and know that I am God. As important as it is to try to learn why, that pales in comparison to understanding that he's God. That he's God. It's not the noise of our own effort that we grow spiritually, but when we finally quiet before the Lord, then we receive the greatest knowledge of which we are capable of understanding, and that is he is God. When Moses is preparing to go be the deliverer that he called him, called him to be, he said, you know what, if, if, if they ask me, who do I say you are? Remember what he said? He just said, you tell them, I am that I am, because there is no other. Jeremiah said, behold, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and stretched out arm, and nothing is too difficult for you. Listen, I have to admit, I've had some conversations with the Lord about the heartaches of life. I mean, I I think most of us, if we're honest, we probably have had times where we've had some really heated discussions with the Lord. You know, and and, and my conversations usually go something like this, why? (laughs) Right? I remember when I went to the ER a couple weeks ago, I I, I got up at 4 o'clock that morning. I was awakened with just intense pain. And I, I'm doing everything I know to do to alleviate the pain. I'm, I'm very uncomfortable. I mean, it, it really is bad. And, of course, in my mind, I still have a wife to take care of, so I don't have any options. And, and I'm in just tremendous pain. And I, I'm, I'm laying on the couch, and I'm like, please, 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 please. Anybody ever prayed like that? Please, 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 Lord, please, 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 please. I do that for about four hours. And then I head up to the ER to get every, to try to figure out what in the world's going on. Oh, by the way, I have a hernia and a, and a, and a kidney stone. <laughs> so so I, I'm just saying that I've had those conversations. Have you? Where, where you're in the middle of something that's tough and rough, and, and you're like, please, God, why? Why? You know what? I don't think God's very, bothered very much by those questions. I really, I really don't. I don't think he, I don't think he, and here's the thing, God never asked me in advance if I could go through these tough times, if I wanted to go. You, you ever notice that? He never asked us if we wanted to go through tough times. Because you know why? He already knows how we feel about rough patches. <laughs> I, I mean, he doesn't have to ask. He already knows how we feel about rough patches. He, what he allows, he does so for his own reasons and without consultation with us because he takes, here's the thing, because he does this, he takes full responsibility for what happens. Only God, listen, only God gives and takes life. Only God rides upon the storms. Only God sends prosperity and trouble. Only God answers my prayers and sometimes leaves me speechless and sometimes leaves me confused. All of this without feeling the need to explain himself to me. God does that. He already knows how I feel. He already knows with me struggling. Why, God? Why? Why in the world? Sorry, I, I wasn't. 
I keep my phone in my pocket in case something happens with, to my wife. So. So, so the mystery of all of this ends up building my faith. Why would I want to worship a God that I could fully understand, right? You ever thought about that? Why would I want to worship a God that I can explain away? I love what Paul said in Romans 11, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. How unsearchable. On our best day, we can't even get close to understanding the plans and purposes of God. Where does all this leave us? Well, I mean, honestly, we're still hurting. (laughs) I said all that to say this. We're still hurting. We're still under the sentence of death because of the original sin. The sin-cursed, broken world that we have. We die. It's appointed unto man once to die and after this to judgment. We hurt. Every one of us. We hurt every day. No one is immune from the sufferings of humanity. We live with pain and we live with sadness every single day. There's no escape from that. But here's the thing. When we hurt, we have two choices. We can either hurt with God or we can hurt without God. That's it. I know this is not a very encouraging message. I'm just simply saying that, that when disasters strike and we won't understand why, we don't understand why. The psalmist said, just be still and know I'm God. Know that before anything is allowed to come and happen in my life, he's allowed it. He's already, he's or, it's already gone through him to get to me. And there's a purpose, and I have to step back. How many ever heard of Hudson Taylor? Hudson Taylor was the founder of the China Inland Mission that reached multitudes of Chinese people who had never heard the gospel. Interesting thing is that if you know anything of the history in the early 1900s during the Boxer Rebellion, Missionaries were being captured. It was, a, it was China's version of anti-foreign, anti-foreigners. So they were kicking out and they were attacking foreigners and they were trying to purge China of foreigners. And, and so missionaries were being captured and killed. And, and Hudson Taylor went through such agony of soul that he could not pray. In fact, here's what he wrote in his journal to summarize his spiritual condition during all of this. He said, I can't read. I can't think, I can't pray, but I can trust, end quote. Isn't that good? I can't read, I can't think, I can't pray, but I can trust. Listen, there are going to be times, I promise you, that you are not going to be able to read the Bible. The pressures of life are going to be so overwhelming that you will have no motivation whatsoever to read the Bible. You probably won't be motivated to say a prayer other than, God, help me, or where are you? Sometimes you won't be able to focus your thoughts on God at all. But in those moments when we can't do anything else, we can still trust that He is God. That He is God. I love the story of Job. I don't have time to get into it, but I love the story of Job who did not understand. He knew that God knew where he was. He knew that God was God. He knew that God knew where he was and what was going on. He just didn't understand. He couldn't wrap his brain around why that tragedy had to happen. He could not. And the whole book of Job is how that all played out. Listen, here's the answer. You say, well, then why does God permit? What does God do about human suffering? Well, here's the thing. God's final answer to the problem of human suffering was hanging on a Roman cross outside the, cities of Jerusalem, outside the city of Jerusalem. That was his answer. 
There Jesus is dying for the sin of the world. The man on the cross is God's final answer to our, the deepest questions about suffering that we all see around us. See, the cross sends the message to this rebel world, I will never stop loving you. That's the message that is declared today. You think, what message do we need in the streets of America today when you see such perversion and, and outright affront against God and the mockery and all the stuff that happens? And it's the message here, I'll never stop loving you. The suffering of this world is great, but the love of Christ is greater still. We cannot escape suffering. I'm going to wrap this up. It's going to come again and again and again. But we don't stop there. We can't stop there because the road continues from our pain to the arms of Jesus who said, I'll never stop loving you. I know that's hard when you're going through things. Again, as I close, when God says, be still and know, he invites us. And that, that really is my take on this verse. He invites us to linger at the foot of the cross. See, when I lose my per perspective sometimes and wonder what God is doing when I'm hurting I just have to be reminded of the cross and know that he did everything he needed to do. Because one day I have a place that he's already prepared. It's a place where there's no more sickness. I'll never have to worry about another pinched nerve in my back, another kidney stone, another whatever. I'll never have to worry about another arthritic pain, cancer. I'll, I'll never have to worry about any of that stuff because what he did on the cross ensured that I could have a future in heaven away from the pain and suffering of this world. See, God's pain, uh, excuse me, God's answer to our pain is not, it's not really a sermon or a theory or a book that we need to read. God's answer to the pain that you and I are struggling with, it's a person. And that person is Jesus. The Bible says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Be still and know that I am God. And in the middle of whatever, I'm closing right now, in the middle of whatever you're going through tonight, be still and know. Let your mind rest that as long as he's on the throne, he's got you covered. If he's ever dethroned, doesn't matter anyway, we're all in trouble. But as long as he's the God of the universe, which will be forever, then we have no worries. Pain's going to come. Disasters are going to strike, but be still and know that he's God. Would you stand with me? Would you bow with me as we close in prayer tonight? And if you're online tonight, I want you to comment. We want to pray with you as well. Maybe, maybe you're here, maybe you're online tonight, and maybe you are going through some really tough times right now. Maybe you're fi you find yourself in the middle of a disaster, a, cha a, a chaotic situation. And maybe you're, maybe you're like me. You're like, God, why? Please, please, please. And you can't wrap your brain around why these things are happening. I don't have an explanation. I wish I could. But all I can do is reiterate what the psalmist said. Be still and know he's God. In the middle of your pain, he's God. On the top of your mountain, he's God. In the midst of your valley, he's God. In the midst of that flood, he's God. In the midst of that fire, he's God. In the midst of opposition, he's God. Be still. When nobody look around, if you're here tonight, say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm really, I've got some things going on and I need this. I want to be still and know 
that he's God. I may not understand, but I want to know. Amen. Just write it right back now. If you're online, if you'll comment. Father, right now, I thank you for this psalm. Lord, the psalmist affirmed that even when the mountains are removed and the earth melts, he trusts in you. So, Lord, I pray that tonight for the hands that went up in the building, those that are online tonight, that find themselves going through things that fail, that fail comprehension, that have no explanation, no rationality in our way of thinking. May we quiet our minds, our spirits, and may we be still and know that you are God. You are God of the mountains and you are God of the valleys. Lord, help us not to forget that and to grab hold of that truth. That when everything around us is sinking sand, it is on Christ the solid rock that we stand. We may not be able to read, we may not be able to pray, but we can trust. And may we trust you with all of our heart and not lean to our own understanding. But in all our ways, may we acknowledge you and you direct our steps. So now, Father, I pray you'll go with us now. Give us a wonderful night. May we rest. May we settle that in our hearts right now, that you are God and we're going to be still. So, Lord, I pray that maybe uh, there's someone here tonight or maybe there's somebody online that maybe for a long time they tossed and turned all night long because they're not still. The questions flood their minds and cause the restlessness. Lord, tonight may they be still and know that you're God. And may they rest, supernatural rest tonight. Wake up rejuvenated and committed to the fact that you are in charge and we trust you. Go with us, I pray, give us a wonderful night. Should you, Terry, bring us again on Sunday, I pray. Bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you. I love and bless each one now in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.